Hello and welcome to Flynn's Talk. It's a podcast that uh, is exploring the, the pet lover community, the veterinary field, and, and we're spending time looking at all kinds of things, Jez. Uh, my co-host, Jeremy Gelman, as always. Welcome Wonderful to be here, as always. Uh, yeah, last one for the run. Yeah, yeah, before our, before our break. We've got a little bit of a mid-year break and then we'll come back towards the end of the year. Yeah, that's Or the it. later half of the year. Yeah, later half of the year. Um, apologies, there's been a bit of an air gap since we caught up with the uh, ACT Pet Crisis Network folks, but... Hopefully, it's giving you a chance, if you hadn't already, to yep. go back and listen to yep. um, some of the earlier episodes yep. and jazz. You could be like Leanne, who's on about her sixth or seventh run through <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> that's it, yeah. There's, there's been a few that have told me um, they've listened to the series again from the start, so that's pretty cool. Um, and jazz, just quickly as well, of course, Covetris um, Global yep. Tech Solutions have been on board sponsoring this season and helping us to push the podcast out mm. to more people they're super passionate about creating efficiency um, within the veterinary community in terms of the clinical support yep um, to make sure that more time and energy from the veterinarians and other clinic staff goes towards helping you and your pets and less of the nitty-gritty admin and things like that so they're a pretty cool mob mm. yeah well said uh Great to have had them on board, of course, and we will continuing to uh, involve them for the rest of the year. Yep. But um, Jez, it's been it's been a great run and a busy run, a, a, a busy yeah. time. Yeah, um, because we've had Flint Walk Melbourne. Yep, huge day, amazing turnout, seven hundred or so yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Um, down at Williamstown here in Melbourne, and yeah, just another amazing day. Sun was out, raised lots of cash. Yeah, it was about twelve grand, yep. a bit over twelve grand. Um, had Pet Barn Foundation on yep. board and giving out free coffee. The Sausage Sizzle crew were there and yeah, it was just a really great yeah, day. Yeah, it's such I, a nice day to see. Yeah. And yeah, like what gets me is sort of the engagement of the people. They're not just coming down to sort no. of get a free coffee, get a free snag and go for a walk. They're actually engaging in what we do and having those conversations, mm. which is the reason why we started this. Yeah, it was cool. And, and we've had a lot of really nice feedback. Um, even one particular person sent quite an incredible mm, email yeah. about um, sharing the walk with his young kids and it just... He perfectly captured the essence yeah. of why we put the day on, and it was just a nice validation, I suppose, to go, yeah, we're, we're on, a, we're on a good track here, and, and onto something that means a lot to people. And um, got up to Canberra as well, another awesome showing in Canberra around Lake Burley Griffin, and um, again, we never get a true mm. uh, exact head count, but um, around that 350 mark again, yep. um, lots of snags, coffee, um, sadly. Carrie, who's our hero up in Canberra, mm. she got COVID yep. in the lead up and wasn't able to attend. So a big shout out to you, Carrie, and I hope you guys, um, you and Warwick and the kids are feeling better. Um, terrible timing, terrible timing, because she has absolutely championed us being yeah. in Canberra, but lots of other people dug in and helped out. So that was um, really special. And um, in, in chatting to Flynn's dad, Pete, uh, and his mum, Jackie, who, who are obviously so involved with the cause and this mission, um, Pete's talking about, you know, the kind of third, fourth, fifth Flynn's Walk yeah, cameras yeah, yep, already. Yep, so, yep. Um, yeah, that, that's a pretty cool thing. And, of course, later in the year, um, dates still firming up and details yeah. still firming up, but Brizzy August yep. and Sydney in September. So, Hopefully beautiful weather as well for those. Well, I'm told that late August in Brizzy yeah. is sort of the sweet yeah. spot. Warm, but not too yep. hot. Um, not wet. Not wet. And then Sydney, anyone's guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of like Melbourne in a way, but hopeful that uh, have another exactly, great show yeah. in there. So stay tuned because um, 
plenty we'll be, to come. We'll be, we'll be back yep. doing these before then anyway, but um, stay tuned to the socials and we'll announce dates and things like yep. that. So, all good. So, for our final chat, Jez, today, we've yeah. got Yvonne Hong from Pets of the Homeless. Yep. Yeah, something that's sort of... We've, we've had a bit of a theme for this season. We're, we're looking less towards the medical side of things and looking towards the sort of social, that sort of human-animal bond and the mm. connection that, that people get from their animals and, and that sort of importance of having having the animals around them and, and how we can help the animals, but also help people to help their animals and help the people that help their animals. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of that holistic yeah. care approach, um, which has been really cool. Uh, so another, another fantastic discussion. Um, I reckon we'll get into it. What do you, yeah, what do you think? let's do it. Jez, uh, a little while between conversations, but... Um, Always good, always good to connect in with our guests that we find. And actually, uh, Pets of the Homeless Australia, I think Eva told us about from Project Underdog way, way, yeah, way back. Yeah, yeah, true. And she's got to talk right. to Yvonne. You've yeah. got to talk to Yvonne. So Yvonne Hong, who is the founder of Pets of the Homeless Australia, has joined us for a chat through the, through the Zoom screen. And uh, welcome to Flynn's Talk. Thanks for giving up some of your time. That's okay. Thanks for having me. We've been exploring the world of of pets and the connection that yeah, pet owners... more social side of things. Yeah. Like, we, we've always been interested in the role that pets play and, and we know the role that vets play in keeping our pets healthy in terms of the clinical care. But there's so many other amazing initiatives in the community just like yours. Uh, tell us a bit more about Pets of the Homeless. Give, it, give us sort of the, the elevator pitch, the snapshot uh, and, and why you started it. Okay, the elevator pitch. Okay, that might be hard because I used I tend to just talk on and on about the charity. Um, but basically, so Pets of the Homeless, I started Pets of the Homeless back in 2015, um, just as a personal mission to, you know, make a difference in the community. Not so much to actually start a charity. I wanted to go out and connect with people and their pets. Um, because, you know, when you see someone sitting on the street, um, often alone, when they have a pet with them, it makes it easier for the society, you know, to connect with them. And, and that's where the uh, importance of a pet is, you know, for someone that is experiencing homelessness, when you're there alone, a lot of people just walk past you. But when you have a pet with you, people will actually stop and look at you. A lot of times it's not looking at you, they're looking at your pet. Uh, but still, you know, at the end, they would start to, you know, start a conversation with you. And, and that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I really love the role that a pet plays in someone's life when, especially when they're going through homelessness and hardship, because being homeless is a very isolating and lonely experience. So having a pet with them is really important. And I've gone off tangent again, when you said elevator pitch, um, but yeah, so um we started in 2015 um it was basically just myself walking down the street with some pet food and pet items looking for someone to have a chat to and see if their pet needed anything and I would post about what I do on social media um on Facebook and that's how the charity really started so every week I would go out on the streets talking to people and would share their stories on Facebook um, about what I've done for the week and people really resonated with the cause because I think at that time the reason why I started it is because no such thing has existed you've got you know, services for the homelessness services and you've got services for animals so your RSPCA for example the big shelters and rescue groups which do wonderful work but there's no 
bridging gap between the two. So there's a huge disconnect there. So I was looking for a charity that was working in the space of, you know, homelessness as well as pets. And I couldn't find any. And that's why I started the charity. And yeah, like I said, you know, it's really basic. It was just at the start providing pet food and just having a real chat to someone. Um, and then as the charity grew, we started helping with vet care as well. And then with additional funding, we started helping with a safe shelter. So, you know, what I mean by that is providing emergency boarding when someone needed to access crisis accommodation, for example, or um, attend a medical appointment and they have no one to look after their pet. So we would look after their pet temporarily while they get back on their feet. So, and yeah, so a little background from me, I used to work for Anglicare in their homeless, homeless services team. Um, and yeah, so for me, for me, I've, I've dealt with your organisation quite a lot and, and a lot of, a lot of our clients have received all your food and everything mm. like that. But that, that, what, what resonated with me with what you just said is about that filling that gap between the veterinary care and the homeless care. And that's so many clients we had come to us didn't didn't know that that sort of that there was someone filling that gap mm. and it was so like i guess i guess it was special for them when they came they might have had a dog or or something or a, or an animal with them um and you would say oh would you like would you like some food for your for your dog for your cat for whatever and yeah they that the sort of the heartwarming experience of them being able to feed their animal because a lot of the times people who are experiencing homelessness their animals number one they're going to be feeding their animal before they mm-hmm. feed themselves yeah. or look after themselves. So having that, having that pressure taken off them by giving them some food and some very good food at that, it's always, it's always very nice stuff, mm. um, really takes that pressure off. Yes, and I think, you know, a lot of the homelessness support services are beginning to finally realise the role that a pet plays in someone's life and how it affects their long-term situation um, in finding housing, in finding a job, for example, or just rebuilding their life in general. Because the pet actually gives someone a purpose. It gives them the motivation to continue, you know, um, wanting to do better, basically. And that was something that they've missed. So, you know, and, you know, yes, it's easy to say, let's put a roof over your head and you have somewhere to sleep for the night, you know, but having to give your pet away just to have a roof over their head, a lot of people are not willing to make that decision. Um, And that's when you'll notice that if you actually factor in the pet and give them that care as well, the person's journey will look different and, you know, their motivation um, will also look different and they will work harder to try and get to that next step that they need to get to. Yeah, I mean, it's part of that, like we talk about that holistic approach to care where you're taking every aspect of a person's life and and the yeah, as we've as we've spoken about, as we've learnt about, the human animal connection is is a really sort of empowering and and um, and what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Restorative and all of those all of those yeah, great words. Thing yeah. for yeah, fulfilling yeah. for for people out there. Yeah, because oftentimes as well, like people find themselves in a situation where they have no other family, no friends around to support them. So their pet is the only connection that they have. You know, so to take that away, it adds unnecessary trauma to the person and and yeah it's really hard for them to recover from that so and also for the pet itself you know having to be separated from the human and then be surrendered to a shelter for example there's no guarantee that they will come up from the shelter alive um yeah so being able to help both parties the person and their pet you know it's it's a win-win for for all that's how i see it well i want to get into a little bit more of i suppose the 
the logistics around how you make that work. I just I just want to go back quickly. You mentioned that at first, like this has grown now. You, you've got a, you've got a bricks and mortar premises, and you've now got some other people working with you and things like that. But when you first went out, it was just that you were someone with clearly an, um, a warm heart and and, a, and, a, and generosity. Um, what was the response like to people who were experiencing homelessness when you you went up and approached them with sort of like this positive gesture and this uh, you know to connect and hear 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 about them and what they're going through? Was that I imagine that would have been quite an amazing interaction. Um, talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, the thing like, um, as I mentioned earlier, when someone is there with their pet, often they will get a lot of people coming up to them because they wanted to interact with the pet. Um, so taking time to actually know the person and ask about them is very important and not just about their pet. And that's a lot of things. Uh, that's the thing that a lot of people will forget because, you know, they're so absorbed with the animal. Um you know, so it's really important to make sure that the person feels seen. And when, how I approached it was when I would meet the person for the first time, I wouldn't necessarily ask if they needed help then. Um, maybe, you know, just talk about the weather, just something really general. And then what I would do is I wouldn't just stand up, uh, you know, obviously someone is sitting down and you would stand up over them. I would actually ask if I could sit next to them. So, you know, and then, um, so it's not that intimidating. You sit next to them and you're having a conversation. Um, and over time, then you sort of bring in, you know, ask the question if they need any help, because a lot of people say, hey, I see someone on the street, you know, can you go ask if they need help? And it doesn't work that way because, you know, a lot of people are actually ashamed to ask for help. So you want to make sure that they feel comfortable before you just jump in and ask, do you need any help? Because 100%, a lot of the time they will just say, no, I'm okay. They need to be comfortable with you and know you before they're actually comfortable to say, yes, I do need something for my dog or my cat or whoever it is or myself. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the number one thing I would say that it's very important to remember when you see someone that you know, sitting on the street. Yeah, I think there's generally a message there just around that we're all human at the end of the day and, and you can connect with people, yeah. whatever their situation, it, it just takes a moment to, and, and a brave moment, I suppose, to, to approach someone that you don't know and whose situation you might not be fully aware of. So yeah, hat, hat off to you for that because that's pretty special and it sounds like um, the 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 it resonated with people across social, as you said, and that you still do a really great job as well, I must say, of how you uh, tell the story of the people that you're working with and, and spending time supporting. So um, well done for, for creating that vibe. Yeah, I think a lot of people wanted to do something about it, but they just, they don't know how to approach it. Not to say that I know how to approach it, you know, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think you just throw everything, you know, out of the window or things that you don't know um, and you just talk to someone, you know, just, a human to human you know and and somehow you you know you just know what to do so I didn't go out with a plan of to do this that that um and you know like I said at the start of the charity it wasn't my intention to start a charity I just wanted to you know talk to someone and try and see if I can make a difference and but yes a lot of people resonated with that and they wanted to help and now I've given them an avenue to be able to help so you know they could donate items so at the start of the charity I wouldn't accept any funds because we were not set up as a as a charity it was just me on my own so they would donate you know drop off pet food and pet items to my house and then yeah so every week I would just bring that to the city and you know distribute out to the community I understand you actually did some animal shelter work and even soup kitchen 
work and volunteering prior to setting up Pets of the Homeless. Tell us a little bit more about the Yvonne story and how, um, you know, what sparked that before you actually went out there and started handing out food and meeting people in the street. Um, I'm a bit of an odd case in that, you know, a lot of people who are in my situation, like, you know, they founded charities, um, let's just say animal charity, right? They would have had their whole lives before that, you know, being involved in animals. I've never owned a pet until I was, you know, 26. Um, so I grew up as in, so I grew up in Malaysia. I came to Australia to actually study to be a vet, to be honest. Um, but Things happened along the way and I couldn't finish my course. Um, but, you know, long story short, um, yeah, I grew up in Malaysia in like small apartments where, you know, I was never allowed to have a pet. Um, so I never had a dog, never had a cat. Um, but somehow I just knew I love animals and I don't know how. So I think sometimes, you know, it, you are born with it because my parents are not really big animal people either. So there's no inf any influence from my family or my, or my society, to be honest, um, you know, and but it's just within me that, you know, I know I love animals. And um, so I came to Australia so to study to be a vet. That didn't work out. Um, but then, um, yeah, so I started volunteering with, um, I never knew that rescue group existed. For me, when I came here, I thought you just get a pet from a pet store, you know. And then I learned about rescue groups and shelters and I really wanted to be involved. And so, yeah, so I started um, volunteering for uh, a few rescue groups, you know, um, picking up animals, dropping off to their foster homes. I started fostering as well. So I started as a foster carer first um, and I fostered over 40 animals now. Um, yeah, with rescue groups and also with Pets of the Homeless. Um, yeah, and then, um, but at the same time, I'm also very, I don't know, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of homelessness, to be honest, growing up, um, but I just wanted to help people, I guess, and so I volunteered at um, you know, soup kitchens, and I used to flip pancakes outside um, Flinders Street Station, and yeah, and it was actually from that um, experience that has taught me something that is really important and has followed me through until today. And that's when I was serving food to people. Often you would see on Flinders Street, so you get a whole bunch of different people, um, you know, um, coming, um, going past you. And then sometimes I would see someone wearing a really nice suit and they would come and get food from us. And then I, I'm like, mm, you clearly look like you can afford it, you know, so why are you taking food away from someone who can't afford it? And, you know, someone else said to me, you can't judge a book by its cover because someone, although they dress well, um, you know, they could be struggling at home, but they have to dress well because they need to go to work. You know, that could be the only suit that they have, but, you know, um, they might be you know, sleeping in their car, but, you know, they just wear the really nice suit to get to work so that they have a job. So you can't really judge anyone. And, you know, that will continue with me until today. Yeah, I think, and I think that's, I think that's a really good point. And it's something slightly off topic, but it's something important to mention, which you have is that homelessness isn't just the people you see in the city sitting on the street. That's, that's quite a small percentage of, of people yeah. who are actually experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness, which is secondary homelessness. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's as you say not not about judging people about how they look it's about just doing doing what you do and doing it well yeah and also the thing that i would hear a lot is you know at the start when i started the charity is if someone can't look after themselves you know why do they even have a pit 
you know, and, you know, it's that kind of judgment. And to be honest, I think all of us started thinking that way before we knew better. And, you know, and so I've shifted the way I was thinking. And to me now, it's like, instead of judging someone, why, you know, and if we have the ability to help someone, why don't we just help them instead of saying, hey, if you can't look after, you know, yourself, don't have a pet. But instead of changing that mindset and saying, you know, like that pet is, you know, um, you know, provides companionship for you and uh, support. If I can help you, why don't I help you? And that's and that's how our charity works, basically. And and even like you sort of touched on as well that the pet, uh, for some people, is a reason to continue. It's a reason yeah. to take those next steps and, yeah. and and set some small, medium, large goals, whatever it might be. So, you know, who who are we to say that someone isn't entitled to have that? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really, really beautiful message. And having a home doesn't mean that you're a good, uh, you know, I don't like to use the word owner, but or guardian, but you know, having a home doesn't make you a good owner either. You know, a lot of people who don't have a home, and and also I think I want to break away from that uh, perception that you know it's just people that are sleeping rough on the street that are experiencing homelessness. A lot of people, you know, like. Um, that are couch surfing just in a place where it's not stable that's also considered um homelessness and that's a message that we try to um educate the public a lot and so we've gone from you we've gone from you you actually going out to people and providing that providing that sort of care and support to them on a one-on-one basis to now where you are to working with i think what is it is it about 55 different non-for-profits and charity organizations out there that is um for pet food yes uh we, yeah for pet food yes um so yeah so how it started is you know i used to pack all the food in my kitchen um as and you can imagine um that you know i, I was getting rats at home to be honest so yeah. then we had to move <laughs> into a space but it took years of hard work and fundraising um you know um to to get to where we are today um and in 2019 we moved into our warehouse uh, that's where we're at at the moment and we've established um victoria's first dedicated pet food bank um and from there we started working with sorry um from me doing the work on the streets i found a way to grow that um and that was to work with other people you know it's always easier to work with other people just working alone walking down the streets up you know every single week you're not going to achieve much so i started partnering with some of the organizations that are local to me like a soup kitchen or food pantry and then once we moved into this space then I could really ramp it up so we went from four partners to about 40 in the space of six months and that was in response to the bushfire and also COVID in 2020 so we really grew a lot in 2020 Um, and how it works is you know we would pack the food here and then we would distribute it out to the community partners and people wherever they are um, when they're near a community partner they could just drop in and get some food so that's a quicker way and also a more efficient way for us to help someone rather than expecting people to just come to our location which is in Cheltenham. Also from my from my point of view as working in the homeless support it, it was always a good way to engage someone into the services when you when they have a pet it's such a great way to sort of break down a lot of those barriers and start to build that sort of therapeutic relationship with them to talk about their animal, to ask them how they are, what they need and go through all of those things. So it's in some way, it's really good having, having the access through those services because if they're utilizing those services for the animals, they also 
get that wraparound service. Mm. Similar thing to what we were talking about with the social hearted vets, that it's not just about providing a service for one specific thing. It's really about that holistic wraparound service to to help people and help help their animals. Yeah, and again, like you were saying before, the animal is sort of at the forefront and an enabler to that. Yeah, and how we run the other um, programs, so our vet side and also the foster and the emergency kenneling, um, they're all done through a referral from the support worker. And a support worker doesn't have to be a social worker. It could be your NDIS supporter, you know, um, your support worker. And the reason why we do that is because we're not social workers ourselves we also we are a very small organization we don't have the capacity to support someone in what they need other than just the pet care so you know we need them to work with someone that's looking after their mental health for example their financial needs their housing needs and then we come in to look after the pet because that's what we do best and then you know and then so if they have one thing that um, it's been taken care of then someone else a support worker can help them with other needs in their life and and to me yes it's the whole holistic thing so I'm not just I don't want to just take away someone's animal and care for it and then after three months and they've gone nowhere because there's no one else to support them with something else as much as we would love to provide that support we're just not trained to to do it yeah exactly no that's good and and you you have to if we're in our own space here having established Flynn's Walk and we're very aware of what we can enable and um, sorry, that we're aware of the things that we can do and the yeah. things that we can enable others to do yeah. in the sense that we're championing message around well-being and wellness and, and looking after yourself and all of that, but we aren't, we're not psychologists. Yeah. We're not able yeah, to you provide the your limitations. So I'm interested uh, and I think people listening would be interested as well around and, the, and there's, a great, there's great stories and examples of... Um, people re- getting to reconnect with their animal once they've found found somewhere that they that, you know more uh, permanent accommodation and things like that tell us a little bit about how the foster caring and emergency boarding um, uh, projects work in terms of um, your foster care network and, and the people that help you make that happen Who, again people with amazing generosity and opening their doors to you and all sorts of things right to to help take animals in yeah so foster care was one of those things that I didn't start towards uh, you know like I've tried to do everything I can first and then go into foster care because it's a lot of energy time and commitment that you need to put into it to make sure that you do it right um, especially when we're taking on um, someone else's pet we're just not you know um, when very different from a rescue group and we make sure our foster carers understand that as well so some people are worried that oh I can't foster because I'll be attached to the animal but I remind them you know that the, the animals have an owner so they do go back you know and that is um, yeah reunification is the main goal here it's not for you to, or us to keep the animal it's to, for us to to give it back um, so in a way that also makes it different for people it, it changes their mindset when they're fostering for us um, but yeah we started with emergency kenneling first uh, kenneling is much easier because often when we take on cases it's crisis cases we don't have time to assess their behavior what we know is from their owner and you know we love our pets, you know, so we see our pets in a different way. Um, you know, other people might not see them that way. So it's really hard to get um, uh, like a proper behavior assessment from just the owner. But when you don't have time and it's a crisis situation, the easiest thing to do is place them in the kennel because they will be separated from other animals and it will give them time uh, to be assessed. 
Um, so foster care, you know, bringing that in was, you know, an element of like, there's a risk there because we don't know how the animals will behave. Um, but surprisingly, to be honest, because the animals are always with their people, they are really, really well behaved. Um, the only thing sometimes we would get is because they're with their people so often that, you know, they might have separation, a bit of a separation anxiety. But generally, no, all the animals that we've, we've come, uh, come through our doors are really um, lovely. And so finding homes for them is not too hard. Um, it's just that finding the right home because a lot of the time we find that they're bigger dogs um, and a lot of people are more accustomed to smaller dogs because they have more pets at home. Um, so finding a pet-free home is the easiest thing, um, you know, to place the animal in, but the hardest thing for us to find. And is it something that you're sort of constantly looking to grow that network of foster carers? Yeah, so we have, um, so when the pandemic hit, we could no longer do, um, so I wanted to introduce like an info session because we don't want someone to foster for us without knowing the big picture, you know, because like I said, we're very different from a shelter. How we take on the animals and what happens to the animals is very different to a shelter or rescue group situation. So we wanted to make sure that people un fully understand what is required of them before they foster. Um, and then so we set up like an info session, people would come in, did one session, then the pandemic hit, and then so we have to, you know, pivot and change the way we run things. So we started doing online sessions, like, you know, like what we're doing now, which, which is very helpful because people can actually do it from the comfort of their own home, um, get all the information that they need, and then if they're comfortable in proceeding, then they would sign up to foster for us. And that way, when we do get someone, they are really serious and they already know what is expected of them. Uh, we do these sessions every six weeks now. So we can always try to recruit our new foster carers and we're always trying to grow it. We currently have about 90, 80, 90 foster carers. Yeah, but in saying that, you know, it's still very hard to find the right home for the right pit. Yeah, and again, because of the pandemic, now that, you know, everything is open, people are going away. So a lot of carers are away, um, which we understand because, you know, you've been cooped up for the last two years, you want to go, um, but it makes it hard for us to place animals in care. So we still have to rely on kennels and cattery um, as well. And as well as the foster carers, you also, you also work with the vets as well to provide care for the animals. Can you tell us a bit about sort of how that works and is that the same, is that the same thing where, where it'll come through a social worker or a support worker to, to make that referral? So everything that we do, um, except food, because, you know, once it's passed to the, uh, the organisation, they can manage how they, they get up the food out. But um, vet care and foster care, emergency kenneling, all goes through a support worker. Um, it's just because it's also easier to get information from their support worker because they already have that connection with that person. And when someone is in a crisis situation, sometimes they just don't have the capacity, you know, to feel informed, you know, or think about when they're going to attend appointments. Also, sometimes they might not have the capacity to get to a location. So the support worker takes them there. Um, and how we work is we work with the network of partner clinics and our aim is always to allow people to access the service no matter where they are. So we do have a network of clinics around Victoria that we work with. Um, but in saying that, even if they're not a partner clinic with us, it doesn't mean that we won't help someone. Let's just say someone in regional Victoria, we don't have a partner clinic there. What we would do is we would contact, you know, the 
local vet to them. So we get two to three quotes and then we will book them in um, for the vet check and then we will cover the cost. The difference with partnering with the clinic is obviously they know all our procedures, so it's faster, um, but they also offer us a discount. So we don't have the unlimited funds to just pay for everything. So, you know, let's just say $500, it stretches further at a partner clinic than at a clinic that doesn't offer us a discount. So, yeah, and so that's how it works. But, you know, in saying that, like I said, it's not just um, in Victoria. People in other states, we would also assist them. So Queensland, New South Wales, not an issue because logistically we don't have to do anything. We don't have to take the pet there because the support worker will get them there if they need to. Um, we just need to cover the funds for it obviously one of the things I really advocate for is our vets because so often you know we will post about um, someone's animal being sick and we have to fundraise for the cost and then people would say oh maybe the vets should charge less and we would always step in and say no because you know you need to understand there's a difference between human medicine and veterinary medicine um, you know there's no medicare for animal medicine so you know it's expensive um, and I have accepted that fact it is expensive right um and it's not the vet and no one is in the profession to make money you know if people actually knew how much money they make as a vet you'd be really surprised you know you're probably better off flipping burgers at mcdonald's um than being a vet because your first year pay is really low so no one is in the profession to study six seven years to be a vet for money so um yeah i think i just wanted people to understand more that you know the vets are trying you know their best they're doing it because they love animals no one's in it for the money it's expensive because there is no subsidy from the government um and yeah i think you know it's so many people now are burnt out and you know leaving the industry um that we really need to protect our vets um, and so we make sure we put in place policies like, for example, we use our partner clinics. We put in place a policy where, you know, they have, to, I mean, it's, I can't believe I even have to say this, but, you know, I have to write down in the policy that you have to be courteous to the vet, you know, you get nurses to your vet. Um, if you can't attend an appointment, you need to let us know or let the vet know, because if you don't attend the appointment, they lose the booking as well. You know, so then we have to, so what we do is we would offer to pay a no-show fee because I don't think the vets should lose that because they're helping a charity. We just know, you know, they work hard as it is. They don't get a lot of money. They, you know, they give us a discount. So we want to look after them as well. Yeah, great message. You've nailed it. We, we've talked about the, the cost of veterinary care. To, to help provide explanation and context yeah. for why it's expensive, the fact that vets study for a long time, there's a lot of operating costs. They, they operate as businesses. They operate as a commercial model. There is no offsets. There's no subsidies. It's organisations like yours that that um, help to offset mm. the cost of pet care for people who who, who genuinely need it. Um, the rest of us all sort of get on with it and hopefully um, have money saved away and things like that. If you're in a position where you're priv privileged enough to be able to do that, to to and then you know it's part of pet owner responsibility as well is being prepared that there's going to be costs. So we have definitely talked about that a lot. The other part I think that people don't realize, Jez, that you and I have learned about, and Yvonne, you will know, you will know this, vets will often um, take a hit financially before putting someone else in a vulnerable position if they see that there's an animal that needs care. And I'm sure you experience that and see that in your line as well, where um, they're discounting on already a very low profit margin and all those kinds of things. And they're, they're extremely generous as it is. So there's, that's even more reason for why we need to be courteous and kind, right? Because vets are going to, they're going to, they do flex and they do subsidize stuff yep. without any, 
guarantee they're ever going to make that money back. And that's why I wanted to come up with initiatives to be able to help someone or help the vets as well to to, you know, to cover some of the costs that, you know, are not covered elsewhere. So recently, so last year, uh, we launched a initiative called the Farewell Fund, where we would cover for someone's pet if they're sick to be, you know, humanely um, euthanized, and also we would cover the cost of cremation. Um, you know, someone did say to me, that doesn't really seem aligned with your mission, you know, of keeping best friends together. But I said, it is, you know, because for me, to be able to cremate my pet and get their ashes back, that's closure for me, you know. So they might not be there physically, um, you know, the ashes is still closure for me. And it would be nice to be able to provide that to um, others. And also not everyone have, has the funds to pay for euthanasia. And even animal suffering, yes, a vet will have to actually do something about it because they can't let the animal suffer. But even getting that person to the door, you know, to say, please do something for my pet because we know that there'll be costs involved you know so that it prohibits them and it will stop them from doing that you know going that step anyway yeah and and that's why you know we we launched the feral fund because so then people know that that we will cover that cost then they know even if the animals suffering you know that they can take their animal to the vet instead of just letting it you know continue suffering yep it's another another added stress yeah. at a time where you're already feeling so vulnerable um and and drained of emotion and everything else we've you know, many of us, we, we've yeah. all been in that situation where we've had to um, endure endure a run of ill health with your pet and then also experience the fact that there's more costs, uh, but these are all real costs that exist and need to be picked up somewhere by somebody. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's definitely a real part of, of owning a pet. I saw recently you've passed 790,000 meals distributed, which is phenomenal. Uh, like take a moment for that um how talk us through even just logistically having made that happen and the people that have supported you to make that happen but what's what's next like that's a phenomenal target already but surely like a million is is achievable yeah, a million by November, that's the goal. So by next week, we would have hit 800,000. Um, so the goal is to reach a million by November. Um, and then after that, I don't know, two million. <laughs> um, Keep going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but the bigger picture is, so for the next you know, three to five years, the plan is if we're able to pull it off, is to actually move into a much bigger space. We want to be able to have um, animals on site. So at the moment, we can't have any animals here. We have, because we don't have the space, also there's no permit for it. Um, but yeah, we're hoping that the next move that we go to will be more of a permanent home where we're able to have um, take on crisis cases, emergency cases. When we can't find them a foster home, we can take them on um, and care for them on site and also have our own little vet clinic as well. Makes, makes things easier um, also uh, for our own foster animals, for example. But just, yeah, just booking in appointments, I think we'll find it much easier if we can do it in-house too. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the big, hairy, audacious goal in the next, like, you know, five years. Um, initially, I said maybe three years, but I'm thinking, well, uh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, so about five years or so, where that's that's where we're heading. Oh, well, you've already achieved an amazing amount in the time um, to this point. So, you know, three years, five years, whatever it ends up being, um, you know, you've, you've got the gusto to, to get yourself there. I don't doubt that. It's, it's incredible. Uh, so, like, in terms of that, um 
you obviously rely on support from the community in all in all sorts of forms, right? So, how can people help? What is helpful to you? I know that um, uh, during the bushfires, I was I was looking at looking around the house and looking in in the supermarket. What can I buy and what can I take down to food bank, as in for the human food bank? And um, they just said, you know what? If you give us fifty bucks, we can get wholesale rates on stuff. We can actually feed a lot more people and get it a lot further. And that was a bit of a moment for me where I went, that's good to know. And I started telling other people that. So like, tell us, this is your chance to people listening um, to this, this recording, but um, what, are the, what are the best ways people can help you? What, what do you need? And, and what, what are the ongoing kind of ways people can help? Give us all your money. <laughs> but yeah, money is always the, the best way. First thing is, you know, um, I look at, um, I prefer a way that could help me and help you. So by donating to us, you get a tax deduction as well. But I know a lot of people are not donating. Yeah, not a lot of a lot of people are not donating because of a tax deduction, but you know it does help. Um, and also, yes, like what you were saying. So when you donate to us, we could actually buy the item wholesale, and also we can actually claim back the GST component of it. So we don't pay the GST. Um, so you know your dollar stretches further, and to us, it's all about maximizing the impact of your dollar. Um, yes, it's good. You know, if I mean, people love to give things that are tangible because it does something that's visible always you know it's more warm and fuzzy than just handing over $50 cash but you know in all honesty that $50 cash will actually you know have more impact because also when we get loose donations we have to take the time to sort them because we need to make sure that they're not damaged we need to check all of the best before dates when it comes to food um, so it takes up a lot of like human resources as well Whereas if you give us the money, we buy the food in pallets, you know, so and we know where they're coming from, we can choose the brands that we like, you know, we, when we buy, we tend to buy the more premium quality brands. So yeah, we can choose what we buy. And also, it's just easier for distribution as well than having loose donations that we have to then sort and then package up. Yeah, well, and when you get that bigger warehouse, it'll have even more room. So you'll need even more donations to buy more pallets. Um, and then there's some other stuff as well. Uh, I know that recently you did a bit of a call out for volunteers. It seems like you had an overwhelming response and potentially even have parked that for now, but you do have opportunities for people to get involved and there's um, at corporate days and things like that as well where people can actually donate their time as well, which is another great way and we've seen that. It's not always about giving money, is it? It's about opportunities for people to lend a morning, an afternoon, a day, a car to make deliveries, all sorts of things. Yeah, so we, you know, we're lucky in the sense that we don't do volunteer call-outs very often, maybe at most two to three times a year. It's because the volunteers that are with us, they stay with us for quite some time. So there's no need to, you know, to, for new volunteers, uh, to be honest. But um, yeah, so we, we're lucky in that sense. And, you know, yeah, the volunteers are the lifeblood of the organization because without them, we can't actually physically pack all the food to have it um, delivered. And with the corporates as well, it's great because if you want, corporates are great because they might only want to do one day with you and it's not an ongoing thing, you know. But in saying that, when they come to volunteer with us, they learn about what we do and then the other way that people can help is word of mouth. If you spread the, the word about what we do, that helps a lot of people because it helps us to be known. And it also helps, you might help someone that would need our help and that might not, you know, 
know about us or aware of our services. So it helps both parties. So the other thing you can do is, so if you can't donate funds, can't donate your time, is just spread the word about what we do. Um, yeah, I think that that's really important because we are a very small and young charity. So there's still a lot of people that don't know about us. So talking about us to people, um, yeah, I think that's very important. Yvonne, it's an, a, a fantastic initiative and, and there's so many more layers to the work that you're doing um, yourself and others who are obviously very closely involved. So thanks for taking us a little bit more inside the Pets of the Homeless warehouse <laughs> that is the physical space, but also the broader figurative and, and uh, intangible stuff that you're doing as well because um, it's amazing work and, and uh, we really appreciate you giving us some of your time. Oh, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a good chat. Jez, there's so many fantastic initiatives happening mm. in the community and well you've seen this from the other side yep. with, yeah, with yeah. your line of work yep. um yeah i've seen them firsthand you'll continue to see um organizations like pets of the homeless going forward i'm sure and what exactly. you do um and even for yourself and people you're studying with that next generation of mm. social work yep. carers coming through social workers um more insight into what mm. these organizations yeah, are definitely. about and then you know as cases come up where there is a pet involved we'll now, you, now you, you and others will, will know what to do. Um, and hopefully by us sharing it through our platforms, um, people are learning about a great mission as well. So, exactly. Um, thanks as always for listening. And uh, don't forget, um, at the core of all this is, is, a, is a focus on well-being and um, wellness. Uh, we've got our Cultivate Wellbeing series, mm, which yes. is launched, Jess. Still a few tickets left, I believe. Yeah. So we've got the workshop on June 19, yep. and that's in Melbourne. Um, so if you're Melbourne-based, get around it. If you want to come from interstate, we'd gladly <laughs> help you out in finding accommodation, yep. all those sorts of things. Um, uh, and then and then as well as that, we've got the audio modules yep. that we've recorded with Dr. Vanessa Rolf, and she's jumping in, in, in bite-sized pieces to mm. share kind of a topic each time. So we've got a few up already. Um, honestly, we've started at the base level. Yeah. What's mental yep. health? What's it mean? What, how do you define yep. it? Um, a stress first aid kit and a few other modules that are going to start to pop up. And our hope is that those two start to complement each other. Some in-person in, in face-to-face opportunities with some content online um, can just give you a little bit more mm, out there yeah. if you're looking for a bit more information yeah, exactly. or guidance um, to and get involved with that. And it's important to know that like, people listening might think that these are purely vet-focused, which mm. some, of, some of the episodes do have a bit of a vet focus, but yeah. they're, really, they're really accessible for anyone. So I yeah. encourage you to jump on and have a listen. And yeah, as you said, yeah. Jack, they're, they're quite small, they're bite-sized, they're easy to digest, so yeah. there's no reason not to. And that's it. Like, uh, there are examples in these modules of how you can apply certain mm. things to yep. vet, but resilience is resilience right so you can you can take things mm. from that as well and put them into your own life if you're if you're out in, a, in another industry or uh, walk of life so that's that's a great thing too um and don't forget jez all our usual support services yep. um are you okay beyond blue the suicide exactly, callback yep. service we keep those numbers in the episode Utilize notes them. they're on our website as well um and you know google is a, is a great thing exactly, too yeah. if you ever yep. need anything yep. there's support out there yep. so Thank you for your time as always. and Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with everyone again um, in the not-too-distant yeah. future with plenty more discussions. Yep. Until then, stay well and uh, we'll, we'll speak to you again very soon.